Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, with you on Saturday. And for the year of 2021, we're going to be with you every Thursday and every Saturday, another edition of the Passball Show. We're going to talk about the top NHL head coaches in the history of the sport. I compiled a list of my top 10. I want to know what yours is. We'll break down the best we can the NFC and AFC championship games for this Sunday. Top five MLB free agents that we're going to get into that we haven't put to teams yet. We'll do that, but obviously you'd be remiss if you didn't spend a couple minutes talking about the legendary Hank Aaron. And much has been said about Hank Aaron, which I think anybody with a reasonable mind would echo his impact in regards to civil rights, um, his getting the uh, all-time home run record, which he does not hold at the moment. Barry Bonds passed him, and he he acknowledged Barry Bonds passed him. It's not a matter of steroids for Hank Aaron, and I, I take Hank Aaron's word over you know John Q. Public that's bothered because players use steroids once again steroids the issue that i have with it is we can't go back and find exactly where it started and major league baseball ignored it for the better part of 15 years so i have a hard time picking and choosing who i'm going to hold the use of performance enhancing drugs against that being said this is all about hank a legend one of the greatest offensive position players that we've ever seen in baseball history and as we get into the book he is going to be ranked number six, right behind Barry Bonds and right in front of Rogers Hornsby. Willie Mays is right after him, after Hornsby, at number eight. A couple things about Hank Aaron. Uh, there, when he was eligible for the Hall of Fame for the first time in 1982, there were actually nine Hall of Fame voters that did not vote for him to be in baseball's Hall of Fame. Now, how do you justify that? Because Hank Aaron really is the closest thing to Babe Ruth, the first player in baseball history to challenge Ruth's 714 home runs as a record for Major League Baseball. And not only that, he surpassed it. He ended up with 755. How do you not unanimously put this guy in the Hall of Fame? Now, I understand there's a lot of screwy things going on with the voters. Uh, odds are there were probably some writers that were straight up racist and didn't like Henry Aaron because he was black. But how, how can nine voters justify not voting for Hank Aaron to be in the Hall of Fame? It's that's insane. Now, he had 13 straight seasons of 100 or more runs scored, 15 out of 16. Over 2,000 runs scored in his career. RBIs, we know that he was just a little bit under 2,300. Nobody else has approached that record. So in addition to those records, he's got the total base record, 6,856. And you look at him pound for pound, year for year. And I think it's a great discussion about him and Willie Mays. Was Willie the better all-around player? Yeah, I think Willie was a little better on the bases. Willie was a little, certainly a, a dominant center fielder, which Aaron, though he played the outfield respectfully, was never known for his defense. 
and he did win a couple gold gloves. What was it 58, 59, 60? Am I, yeah, three time gold glove. So it wasn't like he never won the gold glove. He was good, but he, he wasn't maze in the outfield. You know, he wasn't maze on the bases. You know, maybe when it comes to intangibles, you know, was he a little more clutch at the plate? I think you could say he probably was. He was a better pure hitter than Willie Mace. And I think, you know, when, you, when you're breaking it down, the better, and Hank said it himself, he was the better, he felt that he was the better hitter. And he conceded that Mays was probably the better all-around player. But you think of the home run chase as he's approaching Babe Ruth. And I think if, if it were to happen now, if it were to happen in a year of 2020, I think it would have been received differently. Would there be that occasional, you know, asshole that would make a stupid comment? Yeah, because that's what happens. You open social media up to a bunch of, of jerks that don't have to identify themselves. They're going to say what they really feel because they know they're not going to be held accountable for it. So that's going to still exist. But mailing death threats, I don't think would be as much. There, there wouldn't be as many of them. But Hank Aaron said it himself that if there was one death threat that could have been taken seriously, well, that's a chance that he may be killed. So he's got to take every one of them seriously. He knew that probably half of them would never be carried out. Probably more than half of them, probably 99.9% .9 of them would not be carried out. But what if one of them did? What if somebody did try to get in a stadium with a gun? You know, you talk about 50,000 people filling a stadium. One of them was able to sneak a gun in there. His life is at risk. So he had to go through that. And of course, you know, the staple that he really set for Major League Baseball, the tone, really an unblemished baseball player. And we talk about athletes and we tend to kind of gravitate towards things that they didn't do right. How do you knock Henry Aaron? That's one of the things you got to talk about. What can you say bad about Hank Aaron? And I'm not going to I'm not going to start anything because I, I don't I don't see anything. This was a, a uh, an unblemished, all-time great and immoral. And you know, I'm not I'm not big on you know, accumulating the amount of Hall of Famers we've lost. We know we've lost a lot of them over the past year. But you get to a point where you're like, wow, this was. And you know, you could say Willie Mays is right there, is either a close second or maybe the better overall player. But we, we lost a legend. You know, this is like losing Babe Ruth in 1948 when he died of cancer. This is like losing Ty Cobb when he died in 1961. This is like losing Lou Gehrig when he died in 1941. And it's not to diminish any of the other Hall of Famers that have passed over the past calendar year. But Henry Aaron, you're talking about a legend. And he will be. Legend will never die, even though he's no longer on this earth. And you're talking about a great offensive player. Uh, by the way, more walks than strikeouts. A lot of people didn't know that. Willie Mays had more strikeouts than walks. It wasn't, you know, drastic. But Hank Aaron, all those at-bats, all those games, all those hits... Almost 14,000 plate appearances, 1,383 strikeouts. He walked 1,402 times. It's pretty impressive. 
And I think, well, you know, you look at it and he says, perhaps it's playing in Milwaukee, playing in Atlanta. He wasn't playing in New York like Willie Mays was. He wasn't playing in New York like Mickey Mantle was. And that's possible. You know, the media outlets now are a little bit stronger than they were then. You know, Chipper Jones, Greg Maddox and, and the like probably got a lot more attention in Atlanta than Henry Aaron did when he played there because of the growth of the media, the growth of the internet. But, you know, I think of a player that it's hard to say as great as he was, that he may not be appreciated enough. And I think that's crazy to say. You may not believe that. Hank Aaron was not appreciated enough for what he contributed to the game of Major League Baseball. The all-time home run king, and he was the former all-time home run king because Barry Bonds has more home runs. Now, you could say in respect to him that maybe in some people's mind he's the true home run king. I, like I said, I think that's getting political. You know, whether you like somebody's accomplishments, the numbers are the numbers. Barry Bonds hit 762. Henry Aaron hit 755. And Henry Aaron, the the persons who, whose opinion I care the most about in regards to this, acknowledges Barry Bonds as the all-time home run champion. But I look at I look at what this man did. Um, coming up in 1954 with the Milwaukee Braves, still a game that hadn't been integrated that much. Sam Jethro was really the last uh, brave player that was up there playing, you know, as, as an African-American. And he, listen, for, for years, he, listen, he, wanted, he made his all-stars, he won an MVP, he hit 40 home runs a bunch of times, and then ended up passing Babe Ruth to become the all-time home run king. And I don't think he gets enough credit. Number two. Thinking about where Hank Aaron would rank as far as the top offensive position players. And the book is going to come out this year. We're, we're finishing it up. We want to make sure that we, uh, I, at least I get everything that I want into it to make it as good of a read as it could possibly be for anybody that's going to take the chance and maybe buy a hard copy. But if not, you know, you get the online version. Be easy to download. I think of Babe Ruth. I think of Ty Cobb. I think of Ted Williams. And to me, it's hard to say that as an offensive position player that there was anybody that was any better than that. Hank Aaron's close. I go Lou Gehrig, I go Barry Bonds, and then I go Henry Aaron, number six. It's not a knock on Hank Aaron. I mean, you could talk about the different times they played, Ruth and Gehrig, they played in a, in a different era. Ted Williams played before Aaron. Barry Bonds played, you know, of course, in the steroids era. So you want to put, you want to try to equal, normalize everything and try to make it as fair as possible. To me, I, I have no qualms with a top 10 that is Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig, Barry Bonds, followed by Hank Aaron, Rogers Hornsby, Willie Mays, Stan Musial, Josh Gibson. That's my top 10. 
And spoiler alert, if you get a copy of the book or you're interested in the book, that's my top 10. And no shame in saying that, you you know, you can move players around as you, as you feel. But I don't look at Hank Aaron's death and all of a sudden uh, think that he was a better offensive player than Barry Bonds. I think he was a better offensive player than Willie Mays. And I really do feel that in spite of all his accomplishments, he was very underappreciated. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and a solely fair entertainment of our audience. Any publication or reproduction or other use of pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I promised to break down the top 10 in regards to NHL head coaches, which well, you give me a little time, I'll put this up on JohnPielli.com. And I I feel like I haven't spent enough time talking hockey. We've brought basketball back in the mix. We've covered it on the last three shows. We'd probably get through the show today without bringing up basketball, which, by the way, Brooklyn Nets lost again to the Cleveland Cavaliers. One, one thing I'll bring up on that, are the Cavs a little better than we anticipate? And are the Nets going to have a problem with the big three? I know Durant didn't play. It happens. You know, he, he's not. There's going to be games where one of those guys aren't going to be in the lineup. Two losses to the Cavs, who all of a sudden have an over 500 record. You know, Darius Garland played. Colin Sexton looks like he's the big star there. It's interesting to think about. But I was thinking about the top 10 head coaches in the history of the National Hockey League. And if you followed my path and the, the way that I've gone in regards to major league managers, NFL head coaches, hockey head coaches, I'll do a basketball one. I want to break down the entire history of the sport. I don't want to say since whatever year. So I got 10 members and I'll, I'll count it down and I'll give the best description I can because I'll admit I don't know everything about all of these coaches. I just know what their accomplishments are, where they coached, and how many Stanley Cups they won. So every one of these top 10 head coaches have won three or more Stanley Cups. So we'll start out with number 10, and that's Hap Day. Hap Day coached the Toronto Maple Leafs years and years ago. Won five Stanley Cups. I have to put half day as number 10. Number nine will be Tom Ivan, Ivan of the Detroit Red Wings. Three Stanley Cups in the 1940s. He's number nine. Number eight is an active head coach, and that's Joel Quenville. And Joel Quenville, if he sticks around a couple more years, he might be able to grab more wins than any other coach in the history of the National Hockey League. He's won three Stanley Cups, all with the Chicago Blackhawks. So he's the contemporary, the one active head coach, and probably the one that has a chance to move up if he were to coach for another couple couple more years. Now he wins another Stanley Cup, then I think he gets looked at differently. But I got Joel Quenville at number eight. Number seven is uh, Punch Imlock, another Toronto Maple Leafs head coach, four-time Stanley Cup champion. 
And, you know, do you think of the Maple Leafs? Do you think of the Montreal Canadiens? Two teams in the National Hockey League that are just known for winning a ton. And they won a lot earlier. Punch him lat, number seven on the top ten NHL head coaches of all time. Number six is Dick Irvin. Montreal Canadiens, four-time Stanley Cup winner. So he's sitting there at number six. Number five is the legendary New York Islanders head coach, the late Al Arbor. Won those four straight Stanley Cups around the time I was born. Late 70s, early 80s. Great accomplishment. I got him number five. Number four is the legendary Jack Adams. And Jack Adams has an award named after him. He won three Stanley Cups. And he's also one of the greatest head coaches in the history of the National Hockey League. Detroit Red Wings. Four-time Stanley Cup champion. And actually, I had Jack Adams number three, so I apologize. Number four was actually Glenn Sather. And if we're thinking the 80s, we're thinking of the Edmonton Oilers with Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry and all those guys. Mark Messier, Grant Fuhr. One of the best assembled teams, certainly in my lifetime, but one of the best assembled teams that really were ever put together in the history of hockey. The Edmonton Oilers in the 1980s, Glenn Sather, number four. So Jack Adams, I got a number three, four-time Stanley Cup winner, Detroit Red Wings. Number two is the legendary Toe Blake. And what stands out about Toe Blake is the fact that he's won eight Stanley Cup champions, all with Championships all with the Montreal Canadiens. Toe Blake, number two in the top 10 NHL head coaches of all time. Number one, and there's only going to be number one, one number one. I don't think Joel Quenville, even if he passes Scotty Bowman for the amount of wins, it's, it's probably not fair. You think of Scotty Bowman, the legendary career that he has had, the amount of places that he's won. It's hard to rank anybody ahead of Scotty Bowman. I mean, this guy started his coaching career in 1968, was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1991 while he was still an active head coach as a builder. Five Stanley Cups with the Montreal Canadiens, 72, 75, 76, 77, 78, Won another one with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1991. Won three more with the Detroit Red Wings in 96, 97, and 2001. You're talking about a nine-time Stanley Cup champion and a guy that coached forever. His 1,244 regular season wins are leaps and bounds above anybody else. Like I said, Quenville has a chance if he decides he wants to coach for another five years or so. And he could continue winning, maybe adds another Stanley Cup. He could move up a little bit, but there's nobody that's on the level of Scotty Bowman. And I think of him, you know, you want to compare him to maybe a Belichick. Maybe nobody's going to win as many Super Bowls as Bill Belichick is going to win. I think the same thing you could say about Scotty Bowman. Now, Toe Blake won eight with the Montreal Canadiens, which I don't think he gets enough credit for. I don't think there's enough people that talk about the dominance of Toe Blake as a head coach in the National Hockey League. We lost Toe Blake in 1995, 
And it's not like he coached a really long time, but the first five years he was a head coach in the National Hockey League. He won the Stanley Cup with the Montreal Canadiens. Won three more. And you're looking at a guy, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 13 seasons as a head coach, eight Stanley Cup champions, championships. I mean, it's insane. The six. 34 winning percentage, and you may say, hey, he didn't coach as long as Scotty Bowman did, and that may not be fair to put him on the same level. He's not on the same level. Scotty Bowman's kind of there all by himself. Toe Blake is kind of number two, and I think it's similar to the way you talk about a Bill Belichick now and what he's built in the now. Because we've seen it. We've seen Bill Belichick dominate a sport with six Super Bowl championships, getting the three others in a time where it is really hard to have a dynasty. We've seen a dynasty. We've seen part of Scotty Bowman's dynasty. And that's what makes them amongst the best to ever do it. That's what also passes a little bit of a space between number one and number two. If I'm talking about Bill Belichick being the number one head coach in the history of the National Football League, I'm saying Vince Lombardi's number two, but there actually is some space between number one and number two. And the same thing I could say about Scotty Bowman and Toe Blake. Toe Blake, great career. Eight Stanley Cups in 13 seasons for the Montreal Canadiens. Scotty Bowman, sleeps and bounds ahead of him. But I'll go through the list one more time. Scotty Bowman, number one. Toe Blake, number two. Jack Adams, number three. Glenn Sather, number four. Number five is Al Arbor. Number six is Dick Irvin. Number seven is Punch Imlat, number eight, Joel Quenville, the only active head coach on this list. Number nine, nine is Tom Ivan, and number 10 is Hap Day. I'll tweet this out. We'll put it up on the johnpialy.com website. I want to know yours. Anybody that I've omitted, anybody that you'd like to see get a little more credit on this list, who would be my number 11? Pete Green with the Ottawa franchise won three Stanley Cups and actually is the only head coach to win three Stanley Cups or more that isn't in the top 10. So there's 11 head coaches in the National Hockey League history that have won three or more Cups. Pete Green, with the Ottawa franchise years ago, won three. He's the only one that's not in the top 10. Two more quick things we're going to jump in today. We're going to hit MLB free agency. And we're talking about the little competition that we got going on amongst myself and we got some more losses to add. George Springer, we know, is going to the Blue Jays. That's a loss. We talk about the only win that we have so far in free agent predictions is DJ LeMahieu to the Yankees. Now, there's a lot of free agents that haven't signed yet, so there's possibilities that exist. Um, once we declare it on the show, there's no changing it. If somebody signs somewhere else and I haven't mentioned them on the show yet, then I give myself a free pass. Michael Brantley to the Astros is a loss. Jerickson Profar to the Padres is a loss. Kirby Yates to the Blue Jays is a loss. Tyler Chatwood to the Blue Jays is a loss. Jose Quintana to the Angels is a loss. And that's all I got so far. So five new free agents we're going to put up today. The first one we're going to talk about is Chris Archer. And I thought about this and how fitting it would be. Certainly from a gotcha standpoint, 
We're talking about the Chris Archer trade to the Pittsburgh Pirates being one of the worst that we've seen in recent baseball history. How fitting would it be if the Rays still have glass now and the Rays still have Austin Meadows? If they went out there and signed Chris Archer as a free agent. Now think about it. Chris Archer isn't going to cost the Rays that much money. He could probably get him on a major league deal, not having to guarantee him too much. But, you know, he's, he's a guy that's played in that organization. He understands what they're doing. And a Rays franchise that's going to look for somebody to eat a couple innings. Michael Waka is there. Had a bad year last year. I don't expect Michael Waka to turn into Charlie Morton. But if there's a team that's going to be able to do that, it's the Tampa Bay Rays. But I like the thought of Chris Archer with Tampa Bay. You don't have to expect too much either. He goes out there. He's healthy. He could contribute and make 20, 25 starts. I think that's a, a boom for them. And once again, you kind of uh, the trade that keeps on giving. If you can talk about Archer being in Tampa Bay with Meadows and with Glass now. Brett Gardner. I was thinking about it. The Yankees. I think maybe finally ready to move on from Brett Gardner. I just think uh, Eddie Rosario is such a good fit for them. Probably isn't going to cost you that much more than what it would to bring Brett Gardner back for one more season. Now, you want to talk about what it's like to be a Yankee? You've heard me talk about Brian Cashman, his bullying tactics, but also players that uh, kind of take the bait and say that it's more important to be a member of the New York Yankees than it is to play for anybody else. Does Brett Gardner fit it into that mode? I don't know. And that's the one thing I'm going to leave out. If, if he feels that way, then maybe it's the Yankees and nobody else. I could see him signing with a team like the Seattle Mariners. They could use some depth in the outfield. They could use a little leadership. There's a lot of young players that are up there, led by Kyle Lewis and Shed Long and J.P. Crawford and eventually Jared Kalanick. You can look at a veteran like Brett Gardner to just kind of lead the way in a Seattle team that's looking to get better over the next couple seasons. They obviously got a lot of young players. Um, Jerry Depoto, who at one point was kind of going forward with them, has kind of gone the full-scale rebuild, and things seem to be going well. I can see the Seattle Mariners improving. And when you need a little leadership, a guy like Brett Gardner, I think, could help the Seattle Mariners. Next one's going to be Brett Anderson. This is kind of random. Uh, I don't see a particular fit anywhere. You know, Brett Anderson's a veteran pitcher that's been injured a lot of his career. You know, there's been times where he's been relied upon by certain teams that he has been a member of. And he's been hurt. So teams have signed him. Teams have traded for him with the intention of getting some innings towards the back of their starting rotation. And Brett Anderson hasn't come through. Well, there's other times that Brett Anderson has come through, including most recently with the Oakland Athletics. I can see the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'm going random here. I think they want to fill out the back of their rotation. They got some young pitchers. Obviously, Madison Bumgarner on a big contract. Uh, I think it will be a good spot for them. And you're also flipping a coin. Is Brent Anderson going to be healthy? If he can be healthy and give you 20, 25 starts, that'll help any team. I like his fit in Arizona. Justin Wilson, former Mets relief pitcher. I can see him going to a team like the Chicago White Sox. How about them bulking up their bullpen a little bit? They just signed Liam Hendricks. Yeah, Justin Wilson as a, a little bit of help from the left side. And imagine the three-headed monster that they got with three lefty relievers. Aaron Bummer, you know, Garrett Crochet, Justin Wilson. 
that's a, a dynamic left-handed bullpen duo that we really haven't seen in baseball. I'm kind of rooting for that. I like Justin Wilson with the Chicago White Sox. Finally, I think of Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope played for the Tigers last year, most notably for the Baltimore Orioles with a season with the Minnesota Twins. The Phillies may get in the mix for JT Realmuto. If they don't get JT Realmuto, maybe they pivot to Didi Gregorius. But let's say both of them don't work out. I see Jonathan Scope being a cost-efficient fit for the Philadelphia Phillies. I can see him playing second base. I can see them sliding Gene Segura back to shortstop. And I can see him going out there in, you know, Citizens Bank Park hitting 20, 25 home runs. I think very quietly this is a player that could have a good year, provide a lot of value because I don't think you're going to give him a, a huge contract. I don't think he's getting anything more than a one-year deal. So the five free agents today, Chris Archer to the Rays, Brett Gardner to the Mariners, Brett Anderson to the, the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, Justin Wilson to the Chicago White Sox, Jonathan Scope to the Philadelphia Phillies. Finally, if you've heard me before talk about my NFL picks, if you want to know what the picks should be, I recommend you picking against me. But I feel as confident as I've ever felt when I'm picking a Super Bowl this year. You got Tampa Bay, Green Bay. You got Buffalo, Kansas City, both Sunday games. Obviously, the majority of football love in America is going to be glued to the television. Tampa Bay, Green Bay. I just think this is the year for Aaron Rodgers. He's had a chip on his shoulder all season. This is the best that Aaron Rodgers has ever played. Now maybe it's the Packers selecting Jordan Love with the first round draft pick. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen Aaron Rodgers ever play as good as he has, and he obviously is an all-time great. You know, you think of Tampa Bay, Tom Brady's brought this team to this point. Antonio Brown not being in the mix, I think, is going to be a big loss for them. Tampa Bay beat Green Bay during the year. I think there's a you got a good team in Tampa Bay, one that shouldn't be ashamed of itself. And I look at the three and a half points that Green Bay is getting. To me, I feel like Green Bay can win this by a score or more, especially playing at home. The question is going to be, is Tampa Bay's defense going to get in there and disrupt Rodgers enough? And can Green Bay establish a running game? You know about the three-headed monster that they have led by Aaron Jones, you know, A.J. Dillon, Jamal Williams, to a lesser extent. Can the Packers get a running game going? If they do, I think it's going to be a cakewalk. I think I think it'll be a blowout. But can Tampa Bay get to Rodgers enough to disrupt him and maybe force a couple turnovers? Obviously, turnover battles are going to determine games like this. Very seldom are you ever going to see a team that you know doesn't win the turnover battle win a football game. But I, I can't pick against. Green Bay here. I think Green Bay will be back to the Super Bowl. This is the year of Aaron Rodgers. Give me Green Bay minus three and a half at home against Tampa. Question is going to be with Buffalo and Kansas City. Is Patrick Mahomes healthy? He's pretty much got the go from the NFL. He's out of the concussion protocol. He's clear to play. There's no way he's not going to play this game. 
Now, if you're Buffalo, do you bring the defense in and maybe try to take a shot? Not a cheap shot, but get in there and kind of hit them a little bit. You know Buffalo's defense isn't bad. And the question is going to be, is this going to be Josh Allen's coming out party? Because Josh Allen goes out there and, excuse me, goes toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. You think it's going to be a back-and-forth type of game. To me, I look at Mahomes, and I think he's got a lot on his mind. I think Andy Reid's got a lot on his mind. They're, they're preparing for this game. I don't think they're, they feel like they're being respected enough. Kansas City Chiefs, yes, they won 14-2. and two. They won 14 of their first 15 games. You know, the last game they lost to the Chargers. They didn't play anybody. Mahomes sat. I think of it like this. I think the Chiefs got something to prove. And the Bills have had a good season. I give them a ton of credit. But if the Chiefs are clicking at all cylinders, Mahomes is playing well. They're establishing some running game with, you know, Edwards Alaire and Damian Williams and a little bit of Le'Veon Bell. You got Hill. You got Kelsey. If those guys are all making plays on offense, I can't imagine anybody beating them. And I'll, I'll, st- I'll stay through it. If we're talking a Kansas City Green Bay Super Bowl, I, I can't pick against the Chiefs, if they're clicking on all cylinders, they're going to have to make mistakes. If, if the Chiefs make mistakes, then Buffalo got a chance. The Chiefs play their type of game. I, I can't even imagine it being close. So I think, to me, it's an easy pick. I take Kansas City minus three at home against Buffalo. So I got a Green Bay, Kansas City Super Bowl. Let me know what yours is. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show. The Passball Show is brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Of course, baseball and the entire world is mourning the death of the legendary Hank Aaron, the one-time or former I'd rather say former than one time because I don't think one time really gives it the amount of credit. The former all-time home run champion, 755 home runs. We know he's the all-time leader in total bases, the all-time leader in runs batted in. He hit over 300 in his career. He had more walks than strikeouts. He scored 100 or more runs 13 straight years and 15 out of 16 years. And he is third all-time in regards to hits. I think of the all-time hits leader, and I go one through four as far as what I could remember the best. P. Rose, 4,256. Ty Cobb, 4,190. Then I think of Henry Aaron, 3,771. After that is Stan Musial, 3,620. And if I'm not mistaken... I'll go, and this is my prediction. I think it's Carl Yastrzemski at 3,419. Let me let me just say. No, actually, I was wrong. So good thing I didn't I didn't put that in. Uh, I didn't put that in stone. Actually, Derek Jeter ended up with more than Carl Yastrzemski. So it's Rose Cobb, Aaron Musial, and Musial's 3,630. Tris Speaker, Derek Jeter, Cap Anson, Hannes Wagner, Carl Yastrzemski's number nine, and Paul Molitor's number 10. In case you wanted to know, top 10 all-time Major League Baseball hits. You know, you think of Henry Aaron, and one of the things that stands out to me is 
as great of a player as he was, as immortal of a player as he was. I don't think he gets enough credit. I don't think he gets enough respect for being as great of a player as he's been. And he's a great ambassador to the game. And that's why you look at the death of Henry Aaron differently than you do other Hall of Famers. And it's not intended with any less respect towards any of the Hall of Famers that we've ever lost. But losing Hank Aaron was like 1948 when we lost Babe Ruth. Was like, you know, 2003 when we lost Ted Williams. Was like 1961 when we lost Ty Cobb. Was, you know, like 1941 when we lost Lou Gehrig. You're talking about really the greatest players to ever play in baseball. And we lost an icon. We lost such an honorable, not just player, but man. And we lost a very major influence on the progression and the call for civil rights. I mean, what he had to endure and just to, to be the ambassador of the game that he was in the latter years of his life, we're certainly, it's certainly going to be missed. So certainly rest in peace to the legendary Hank Aaron. And like I said, his death, it's like when Ruth died. It's like when Ted Williams died. It's like when Ty Cobb died. It's like when Lou Gehrig died. And it's not just another Hall of Famer. Hank Aaron's on a league of his own. Another thing we broke down today, the top 10 all-time NHL head coaches. I got Scotty Bowman, one, Toe Blake, two, Jack Adams, three, Glenn Sather, four, Al Arbor, five, Dick Irvin, six, Punch Imlach, seven, Joel Quenville, eight, Tom Yvonne, nine, Hap Day, ten. I want to know yours. We did uh, predictions for the championship Sunday. I got a Green Bay, Kansas City Super Bowl. What do you got? And then we talked a little bit about some more free agents that we're going to break down. Um, I'll run them for you real quick. I had Brett Gardner going to the Mariners, Chris Archer to the Rays, Brett Anderson to the Diamondbacks, Justin Wilson to the White Sox, and Jonathan Scope to the Phillies. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. You can download the podcast if you're interested on Spotify, Apple Music. Um, you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube. We'll be back with you next week. Past Ball Show every Thursday and every Saturday. We'll give you a new episode for the year of 2021. God bless you. And as always, I see you on the other side.